Welcome into the 20th and Blake podcast here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. Always excited to be talking Colorado Rockies and or Major League Baseball with you. And I am going to stick to the Colorado Rockies for today. The reason being, I have plans for another podcast on Sunday for you. We should be right up against the deadline at that point, and I figure, yeah, that'll probably be the best time to break down everything that's about to happen or not, and I am expecting that we're going to go past the deadline that the owners have set out here where they say if you know we go past Monday, then there's going to be missed games in the regular season. Of course, I could dive into how the owners have set up this arbitrary deadline and created this entire fiasco themselves and dive back into it. And I plan to do so to some extent on Sunday. I guess I'm I'm holding out for a hero till the end of the night. I'm, I'm, there's a part of me that's hoping maybe there is some miracle in the air that, that could bring us a solution before then. But if not, then I can speak with at least a bit more certitude and maybe not preemptively uh, freak out on the owners a little bit more than they deserve I'll say so let's leave that for Sunday let's let's try to take a deep breath and take a step back and in fact I'm not even going to be talking about the 2022 Colorado Rockies for right now I think we all deserve a break from the right now the right now in the world the right now in baseball is very frustrating it's very overwhelming is a lot right and so I figured we'd, we'd take a minute and I, and I hope if you're listening to this you can Take a step back, take a deep breath, and and let's think about some of the history of the Colorado Rockies. One of my favorite things to talk about as we are getting hopefully closer to the start of some baseball, you know, I want to hone in and focus more on the current. But while we've got this time, let's take advantage of it. And I wasn't really planning on talking about this, but I sent out a, a tweet. Uh, again, you can follow me at Drew Creaseman on the Tweetosphere, and I don't, I don't know what made me think of it. I, I was just like, oh, here's my all-time Colorado Rockies lineup, and I'd love to hear yours. And a lot of people had a whole lot of fun with it, had a really good time and, and got back. And a lot of people, you know, had basically the same lineup that I had. And there were a few changes. And I, and I figured, let's talk about this, because there were also some people who I thought made an interesting point. Uh, a little bit cynical, but not necessarily wrong. Uh, essentially suggesting... The reason why so many people agreed with the starting lineup that I put out there is because, essentially to oversimplify, though some people did say it exactly like this, those are the only good players the Rockies have ever had. Basically, they've had nine star players and everyone else isn't that good. I challenge that notion quite a bit, but I actually think the most interesting way to do that is to go through the list that I provided as kind of the all Colorado Rockies team, right? But then go ahead and take a look at second team and third team to see how they stack up and, you know, just also just a fun way of thinking about and remembering some fond faces of years gone by, right? So let's begin with my list for the all-Colorado Rockies lineup. And I did actually put this one in order of a lineup. I don't know that I did that. I kind of did with teams two and three, but I definitely did it here how I would probably have them hit in order. So I'll go through that way. I have leading off and playing center field, Carlos Gonzalez. And I should mention too, this right away here, this example reminds me that this is one of those, you know, in their prime things. And 
it's it's going to get interesting as we look at some of the next couple of lists, right? Like, are we talking Rockies Prime or just Prime in general? All that's a bit fluid, but stick with me here, and I and I want to hear everyone's thoughts on that as well. But I'm I'm basically, you know, I'm assuming health, and they're at their best, and they're not, you know, at the very beginning or very end of their career here. So I've got Carlos Gonzalez leading off, playing center field. I've got Troy Tulowitzki batting second, playing shortstop. In the three hole, I've got Todd Helton playing first base, obviously. Cleaning it up, Larry Walker, right fielder. Protecting him right after that, Nolan Arenado playing third base, presumably pretty well. After him, keeping the right-left-right-left thing going on, I've got Charlie Blackman in left field. Not a position he's actually played a ton in his career, but when you've got the better athletes. And in his prime, Charlie Blackman was a well-above-average athlete and played a pretty solid center field for the Rockies. So you stick him out there and left, and and it's probably a, a solid bonus for you. Batting seventh, playing second base, DJ LeMahieu. I think kind of comfortably the Rockies' best second baseman in franchise history. And catching, batting eighth, Chris Iannetta. This is one that's a, a little bit more debatable, depending on what you prefer in your catchers, and something we'll talk about a little bit more going forward. And on the hill, batting ninth, I've got Ubaldo Jimenez. Another one that's a little bit debatable, depending on how you want to frame this entire thing. So, yeah, I I get that some of these, like, obviously, Walker, Helton, Arenado have to be there, right? The, those are the guys you absolutely know are first team guys. While I, I do think that Cargo and Blackman exist in that category as well, as we'll get into here in a minute, there's some a little bit more debate in the outfield and also at shortstop. But I, I, and I, as I said, as I was going through it, I do think that DJ LeMahieu is pretty comfortably and pretty easily the best second baseman in franchise history. So not a lot of wiggle room. And I get what people were saying when they go, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the team, right? And even if that is pretty much the team, I found something interesting when I decided to go the next step and put together Team number two. So let's just go through the second team here and then we'll do a little bit of comparing, right? I'll give you the lineup. Uh, Sure, this looks okay. I might change this order up if I was doing it. Actually, yeah, I can already see something that I want to change as I'm looking at it. I'll see if I can do this in live time. So I'll leave leading off and playing center field for second team Colorado Rockies is Ellis Burks. Right, And already we've got an interesting comparison. We can start right here because I've got center fielders leading off for both teams. Carlos Gonzalez for Team 1, Ellis Burks for Team 2. And what's interesting about that is Carlos Gonzalez is obviously and clearly the more important Rocky. And if you ask Rockies fans you know, to compare the two players, most of them will probably tell you, oh yeah, Cargo, way, way better player. But if you look at the statistics, especially the advanced metrics, things like OPS plus and war and all of these other things. Now, of course, in, in these kinds of, uh, exercises, Ellis Burks is going to get a huge advantage by the fact that I'm assuming health. That was his downside because Burks statistically was the better baseball player, but he wasn't now cargo had his issues with health as well, but Burks's were actually even more extreme, but his best couple of years, his peak years, 
in Iraqis uniform were absolutely extraordinary. And other than Cargo's one peak year where he was in MVP contention, he doesn't have quite as much of that. They have very similar raw skill sets of being these kind of five-tool players, right? A lot of speed, a lot of power, pretty good contact for those guys, really good defenders, big arms, the whole thing. So those two players, while obviously Carlos Gonzalez has meant much more to the Colorado Rockies over the years, if we're getting these two teams to play against each other in a seven-game series, I'm not so sure that Team 1 has a strong advantage yet. Let's go to spot number two. I'll keep it consistent again and go with the shortstop, Trevor Story. Again, we've got almost the exact same toss-up where the issue here is health, but now it's guy on team one, right? Troy Tulowitzki, the big knock on him is his health. Otherwise, statistically, he's comfortably the better baseball player than Trevor Story was. Just again, according to OPS Plus, WAR, whatever version of it you're looking at, the one thing that Story really has over Tulo is the run game. Much better base stealer. You know, Tulo had a little bit of that his first year, but again, injury sapped him of it. So it, peak Tulo was not a threat on the bases. Peak Trevor Story is a threat on the bases. But peak Trevor Story strikes out quite a bit more then peak Tulo, who also like peak Tulo had an OPS plus of like 170 a couple of times. Guy hit 15 home runs in 15 consecutive days. Uh, you know, I know that because of the way he left and some kind of thoughts about certain attitudinal issues and just didn't pan out now how much he was hurt, especially that a lot of fans, you know, have a much more positive feeling toward Trevor Story, but even if I'm saying, hey, look, when healthy, Tulo was the better player, certainly in a seven-game series, a player like Trevor Story is capable of outperforming Troy Tulowitzki, and I guess the one other big knock, those of you that remember, uh, Tulo was never especially clutch, for those of you that believe in that, if that's a thing, just over his career, you look at the numbers, you know, he didn't tend to do well with runners in scoring position. Certainly not nowhere near Nolan Arenado, where Trevor Story is more like near the average, right? But that was kind of an interesting thing. So you never know. Uh, I would still now give a slight edge to Team 1. But let's get into the middle of the lineup for Team 2. Batting third, playing left field, Matt Holiday. Now this is, again, where we get back into that conversation about who's more of an all-time Rocky and who was actually the better player at their peak. While a lot of people you know, were saying, hey, you nailed it, and those are the only guys you could have taken, I very easily could have put Matt Holiday over Charlie Blackman on Team 1, especially considering peak. Matt Holiday very much should have been the MVP in 2007. Charlie Blackman actually had a pretty good case for being MVP exactly a decade later in 2017 as well. Blackman is more of an asset defensively. Um, and actually, you know, as I'm going to talk about here when I get to the end, this team's going to be, this team number two is going to have a rough outfield as far as defense with Matt Holiday in left and the guy I've got in right. But Matt Holiday was over his career a better hitter than Charlie Blackman. Not a better Rocky, obviously, but 
whatever you know advantage just on paper that too low over story granted team one i feel like is more or less wiped out here in the matt holiday versus charlie blackman conversation okay so now we go to batting fourth cleaning it up for team two their first baseman of course Andres Galarraga. That's where you've got to go, right? We know that there are two great first basemen in franchise history, and no one in their right mind who's paid attention to any of this would argue that Galarraga was better than Helton. But also, Galarraga was no slouch, was he? And his top, top years in a Rockies uniform were absolutely phenomenal, incredibly fantastic, difficult to parse in modern language because of the humidor and the or the lack of humidor and the Coors Field and you know the steroid era and all that stuff going on it, it's hard to know exactly how good he was but he was very very good he was a, a plus plus defender was a plus power hitter uh, you know hit like 370 one year he was a great contact hitter again at, at his peak and so, yeah, Todd Helton's the better player, but Galarraga is very much capable of having a better seven-game series. So, you know, advantage goes back to Team 1, but only slightly. Not as much as you would think when the first guy is, you know, a Hall of Famer like Todd Helton. But I think, you know, Galarraga is actually closer to have had a Hall of Fame career than I think a lot of people realize. He had some health issues, including having cancer at one point, coming back after a two-year hiatus and having like a 40-home run season in his late 30s. Galarraga had an extraordinary career. So that is not uh, a consolation prize. Again, I've got him batting cleanup for (laughs) for the second team, right? All right. After that, now I do have right fielder Dante Bichette, one of the best Rockies in franchise history. You can't argue with it. Some of his advanced metrics are honestly really, really bad, uh, and I don't buy them. They, they, why, I, I do not believe he was as terrible a defender as his war for 1995 would suggest. But ultimately, you know him, you love him. Dante Bichette uh, was a great hitter and uh, a better all-around offensive player than people realize. He had a 30-30 season in there. He could steal some bases, good contact hitter, good power hitter. Uh, not a great defender still as I defended him. Uh, I defended his defense, as it were. Uh, you know, here having Holiday and Bichette in the corners, or Ellis Burks is going to have his work cut out for him. I'll, t- I'll tell you that much. If these guys are actually going out there playing a seven-game set, Burks is going to be running around trying to make up for that. You, you hope that Bichette and Holiday can do their damage at the plate uh, to make up for the fact that Team 1 has a much, much more athletic and defensively capable uh, trio with Blackman, Cargo, and Larry Walker. After that... Uh, and this is like a right-handed bat-only lineup. That's another problem that Team 2 has, despite, you know, the overall talent level. But at third base, you've, of course, got Vinny Castilla. Is he Nolan Arenado? No. No, he's not. But is he a... It's like the Galarraga to Helton. It's it's a very similar comparison, right? Like, Castilla absolutely had his years where he was a legitimate all-star, big 30-home run guy, good average Pretty good defense. Obviously, he was never the defender. Nobody's the defender that Nolan Arenado is. That's just not a thing. But Vinny Castilla is was a very capable player. And again, in a seven-game set, 
very capable of potentially outplaying his counterpart, though you wouldn't put money on it at this point, right? But still, these guys are no slouches. Team two, very capable out here, right? So now we get down to the bottom part of the lineup. We've got batting seventh, playing second base. I could have gone a couple of different directions with this, and I decided to get very literal with peak and go ahead and pick Kazuo Matsui. I'm really trying to give Team 2 the best opportunity to compete here. Uh, when I get to Team 3, you'll see the other person that it could have been. Uh, but And you probably know anybody. There's probably a few people screaming, how did you not take this guy right now? But... I had to go with Matsui. His one super fantastic year with the Rockies, which happened to be the year that they went to the World Series. He was defensively as dependable as anyone's ever been at second base. He's got a uh, he's a switch hitter, which is really nice considering everybody else in the lineup is a right-handed bat. Uh, he brings a speed element that this team doesn't have a ton of outside of Trevor Story, maybe a little bit of Dante Bichette. Ellis Burks can move around a little bit, but you know, you got some big lumberers in there with Holiday, Galarraga, Castilla. So Matsui gives him a little bit of that element. Really dependable player, super underrated guy in Rockies history because he wasn't around for too long. But again, this wasn't about who put up the best Rockies career, but which guy, if I took him at the peak of his Rockies career, would give the team the best chance to win. And I think that's Kazuo Matsui. Uh, batting near the bottom of the lineup there, giving them some really good defense and base running and all of that stuff at second base. Once again, your catcher is batting eighth. Uh, that's just going to happen <laughs> with this team. And I went with Yorvi Torrealba. Now, a lot of this was one of the ones I would say probably the number one change. A lot of people took Matt Holiday over Charlie Blackman, but I would say the number one on Twitter was people saying, I would have taken Torrealba over Chris Iannetta. And I totally get that. A lot of that has to do with, you know, advanced metrics like Ionetta a bit more because he drew a ton of walks. But there's an argument to be made that walking in front of the pitcher, especially with two outs, isn't necessarily a good thing for your team. And that having a guy who will extend a little bit, which means striking out more and and maybe making more outs and your your numbers not looking as good overall, but you get a few more base hits, you get maybe a few more slugger hits because you're you're being a bit more aggressive. And and Tori Alba was that kind of player. He was more aggressive. I would say he was a little bit more dynamic defensively, even if he wasn't quite as dependable defensively. But for me, honestly, it's a total toss-up between Chris Ionetta and Yorvit Torrealba. Neither of them were elite catchers. It's something we've talked about a lot in the Rockies community, and I've written about it several times, how they've never had an all-star catcher. In fact, they've never really had a catcher be particularly close to being an all-star. And so... Uh, you know, I, I like both these players a lot. I think I do think that they were, you know, really, really good for what they needed to be on their teams and what they would be on these teams. Your your catcher situation is a wash here. And so, oh, and then, and then on the mound after him, Jorge De La Rosa, who, again, you could say it's kind of a toss-up between him and Jimenez in certain ways. If the game is played at Coors Field, actually, that's the way. If the game is played at Coors Field, Jorge De La Rosa statistically has the advantage uh, considerably. He has an extraordinary advantage. Now, if this is played on a neutral site, out on the road, and you've got peak Ubaldo Jimenez, especially if we're talking peak, peak Ubaldo Jimenez. Like if I could take a, a half a season of Ubaldo Jimenez, the first half of 2010, that's some of the best pitching we've seen in a very long time. It's the best half a season any Rockies pitcher has had 
comfortably by a mile. Uh, there was a reason that he started the All-Star game that year and no other Rockies pitcher ever has. That said, you know, De La Rosa had the longer Rockies career. He absolutely was ridiculous at Coors Field and I wouldn't fault anybody. So now we've got this team. We've got these two teams here, right? And I thought it was funny because as I look at it on paper, do I think team one is better than team two? Yeah, still. You know, it's it's hard to argue with Walker, Helton, Cargo, Tulo. That's a lot of firepower. Arenado batting fifth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, th- that's intense. But... Do I think that this team of Ellis Burks, Dante Bichette, Matt Holiday, Andres Galarraga, Vinny Castilla, Trevor Story, Kaz Matsui, and Yorvi Torriaba with Jorge De La Rosa on the mound are going to be a pushover? No, that's a, that's a, that series goes seven. You know what I mean? Like Team two absolutely wins some games if you're playing a seven or a nine game series against team one. That's first of all, just part of the nature of the game of baseball. But it's also, these guys are are really, really fantastic baseball players. There are several players on team two here who could have been all, uh, could have been, excuse me, hall of famers had they stayed fully healthy. Ellis Burks, Andres Galarraga, Matt Holliday is in my mind a borderline Hall of Famer. Now he's not. He I would not I've looked at his numbers very closely and I would not vote for him, but he's like just short of all of the bright lines that I draw for who's a Hall of Famer. Like Matt Holiday, if he could have started his career or earlier by two or three year, years or held on for two or three years longer, would have been right there as a Hall of Famer. He certainly had Hall of Fame talent in certain individual seasons, you know, um, Trevor story also on this team could even act. Now he, he got a bit of a late start. So age is not working in, in his favor, but again, like I'll just reuse the phrase I did a second ago for holiday. Trevor story is a hall of fame talent. He's the fastest shortstop in history to a hundred home runs, uh, RBI stuff. I could go on and on home runs plus stolen bases, all this kind of stuff. Like he's breaking Ernie banks records and stuff like Trevor story has Hall of Fame talent. I just don't know that he's going to be able to get to play at his peak for long enough to be an actual Hall of Famer. Uh, These guys down here at the bottom, Kazuo Matsu, as much as I love him, uh, in terms of overall production, is a drop-off from DJ LeMahieu. The catchers are a wash, and none of the catchers are Hall of Fame talents or even All-Stars, right? That just is what it is. So, yeah, I I don't think it's a toss-up. I would still... You know, if I were a betting man, put my money on team one to come out on top in a best of seven. But I don't think it's the slam dunk. Even as I started putting the list together, I was like, I wonder if team two is really going to be, you know, feel like a bunch of chumps next to team one. And they really, really don't. Team three, on the other hand. Now you tell me, like, there's some good players here. Let me go through it. But here's, I think, where we we really start to get into the frustrating lack of uh, depth in in Colorado Rockies history. Now I started off, once again, leading off, I put a center fielder. Look, I'm old school like that. Some of us just grew up in a weird time where your center fielder led off because he was a speedy contact guy. But actually, this one just made the most sense. Anyone who's listened to me before knows him as my favorite Colorado Rocky of all time, and that is Juan Pierre. 
I really love Pierre. You could have actually taken a number of guys. Outfield is where the Rockies have the most talent. I'll get into it deeper here in just a second. I went with Juan Pierre in center field uh, because I think he's super underrated. I love somebody who can hit for that kind of contact and steal a bunch of bases for you. That's why I'm a big Rymal Tapia proponent. Juan Pierre similarly has underwhelming metrics and war and OPS plus and all of that stuff. You know, it sees him as below league average, but again, he like never struck out, like really put the ball in play, could put a ton of pressure on defenses, play really good defense, except for the fact that he's got no arm out there. But beyond that, an all-around player sets the tone. Uh, every story I've ever heard about Juan Pierre being one of the best teammates, being one of the best workers, being one of the most positive guys. You need that in baseball. I'm starting with Juan Pierre. Batting right behind him, keeping the speed theme going. And at second base, the person probably a lot of people thought I was going to put on team two, I will went with Eric Young Sr. Again, the more impressive Rockies career than Kaz Matsui, no question whatsoever. More important to the franchise, and, and absolutely you got to tip your cap to him. I could see over a seven-game set him being pl- outplayed by Matsui, but I could also see it going the other way. You know, EY never did have the most measurable production. The, the metrics really don't don't love him. Uh, you know, he, he stole a ton of bases, but he also got thrown out a lot. You know, we didn't have as great a defensive metrics back then, but he still did pretty well in them, but not elite. Uh, you know, and, and so it, it's tough to place him, but I, I think you get an above average player in contact and speed and defense. And so, all right, you, you feel really good about Eric Young Sr., at least in terms of the athletic part of the game. Getting into the middle of the lineup, there are some boppers here. A third baseman, Garrett Atkins at third base. Don't forget about Garrett Atkins. Not Vinny Castilla, Nolan Arenado take all the headlines. But Garrett Atkins, the third baseman for the Colorado Rockies during their best sort of, if, if, if I guess if they have a golden era, it was 2007 to 2010, right? And he was an RBI leader from, he might have been the RBI leader uh, during that time. Played a very solid, very capable, sure-handed third base. Nowhere near as dynamic uh, as Nolan Arenado, but very, very capable defender for someone who wasn't a super athlete by any means. Great contact and gap-to-gap power. Uh, You know, maybe certain years more doubles than homers, but again, we're going with peak Garrett Atkins. And so I feel very confident about the quality bat. I've got there batting third for Team 3. Here's the one where I got fun and creative, uh, though I I think it counts for I've got another first baseman in the middle of the lineup, which I guess is what they're usually there for. And I went with Justin Morneau for team three. And I know that he had his peak peak years in Minnesota, but he did win a batting title in Colorado. And so I sort of feel like that counts. And he really was great. Now it was a short period of time. It was like a year and a half, uh, maybe all told, because I know he came back after that, maybe all told he had two years worth of baseball in Colorado, but he was truly fantastic when he was on the field, a great hitter, a great defender. On on both sides of the ball, the guy could really get it done. Just because he had his peak years in Minnesota, wasn't a Rocky for very long. Uh, you know, And I think he is even kind of the obvious choice here. So you've got a really quality hitter there in Justin Morneau for Team 3. 
there's also no other first baseman who've really been around long enough. Like, you know, it goes, the history of Colorado Rockies first baseman basically goes Andres Galarraga for a long time, Todd Helton for a really long time, Justin Morneau for a little bit, and kind of this weird revolving door ever since of not very good to really not very good uh, until CJ Crone. And I could have given it to CJ Crone after just one year, but I decided, nah, let's give it to Morneau. He won the batting title for crying out loud. So yeah, Justin Morneau. After him, don't forget about Brad Hopp batting fifth, playing right field. You've got a good defender in right. You've got, again, at his Rockies peak, a very good hitter, an all-star here on team three. You know, another one, three of them in a row with Atkins, Morneau, and Hopp. And so, yeah, I really like him as a player. He was always kind of a personal favorite. Great arm. Never the, you know, the biggest athlete. You're not going to get a ton of speed or or that kind of thing out of him. But a really good, again, it's kind of that gap-to-gap power. uh, Good bat out of Brad Hopp. No, he's not, you know, a borderline Hall of Famer. Some of the things we've said about uh, these other outfielders. But, again, we're pretty deep into the outfield, and we've still got some good choices. Speaking of which, out and left, the final outfielder to be chosen And again, I went with a small sample, though I do have to give a huge apology here to Dexter Fowler for getting left out of this entire outfield conversation. If anybody wanted to take him, I would totally understand. Again, it's that kind of, he meant more to the Rockies. He was good for a long time. At his peak, he was pretty damn good too. uh, And he could do some dynamic things. But I did decide to go with Michael Kadire in left field. I did the small sample size thing again. Again, I'm trying to give this Team 3 their best opportunity to truly compete if they've got to go up against Teams 2 and 1. And I think at his peak, Michael Kadire gives this Team 3 their best chance. He, he was really, really fantastic for the Rockies. Again, for about a year and a half. <laughs> and, you know, and also won a batting title. So that, I think, that kind of makes him the the clear choice to give this team their shot Uh, again in a year when the guy hit like 331 so if you've got Atkins, Morneau, Hop, and Kadire on this team three that's some punch like that's that's those are guys who are capable of doing some stuff you know uh, and now I (laughs) Do they stack up with teams one and two? Like, would you take any of those guys, Atkins, Morneau, Hop, or Kadire, over the middle of the lineup for team one that's Helton, Walker, Arenado? Like, no, obviously not. But these guys could get it done. Uh, and, and I feel a lot of them are underrated in a lot of ways, especially, again, if we're just looking at their peak years in Colorado, Kadire and Morneau, th- those are some phenomenal hitters. And Hop and Atkins. Those were some phenomenal hitters. And you've got table setters like Juan Pierre and Eric Young to go running around the bases when those guys go knocking it into the gap. Now, at the bottom here, gets a little <laughs> little iffy. Now, I did see some people shouting out Joe Girardi at catcher on Twitter. So, good on you. That's who I ended up taking at third. It's kind of really just you could pick anybody jeff reed again if you want to go back to the 90s which i already have is another one that at his peak was probably even just a little bit better um 
certainly offensively. I like the defense of Joe Girardi. You assume his ability to work with pitchers and stuff. You know, he's got a bit of a pedigree for understanding and knowing baseball. So I think that gives Team 3 a little bit of an advantage, right? Again, I'm trying to finagle them into some wins against Teams 1 and 2. I think you put Joe Girardi behind the dish, you can maybe you know, smart your way into uh, a couple of W's in, in some seven or nine game series against those teams. And similarly thinking at shortstop, you know, I could have gone with Nafi Perez or Juan Uribe, these guys who fans often remember fondly, but didn't really have good numbers or anything. I went with Walt Weiss. Again, just the more solid defender uh, and the guy who I think, you know, maybe he'll pull off a hidden ball trick play or throw to a bag you weren't expecting him to and and get his pitcher out of a tough jam or whatever. These just kind of, if I'm going to get Team 3 some Ws, I'm, they're going to need a couple of Wiley veterans. And I know we're taking players in their prime, but in their prime, both Joe Girardi and Walt Weiss were Wiley veterans. That's a, that's a big part of their game, right? Decision-making up the middle. So I gave them Girardi and Weiss uh, to kind of make that work there for Team 3, but Boy, comparatively, those guys can't hit compared to the bottom of the other lineups. Uh, this team's going to have a tougher time producing offense, especially if any of the guys in the middle of the, the lineup go cold. Uh, you need Atkins, Morneau, Hop, and Kadir to carry Team 3 uh, because you're just not getting offensive punch out of Juan Pierre, Eric Young, Joe Girardi, or Walt Weiss. Though those guys can help, and, and especially those top two can really set the table for you. And then on the hill, Aaron Cook, who could absolutely, I think, keep his team in the game and and do a very decent job for his club. So you've got some, you've got three quality pitchers there, and Jimenez, Jorge De La Rosa, and Cook to maybe keep these games close. And so while I do ultimately come down on, yeah, these are pretty distinctly tiered off teams. I do think Team Two could, if the circumstances were right, beat Team One. And, uh, you know, over the series, like win the series, that's a lot of talent on team two. There is, there is a bit of a steep drop off, but still not as terrible as I would have thought. So anytime somebody tells you that Rocky's history only has eight or nine guys worth talking about, start pulling into your Garrett Atkins file. Maybe give him a little lesson on the days of Brad Hopp or Michael Dyer and Justin Morneau or, Talk a little bit about Juan Pierre and how incredibly consistent he was over the course of his career. Guy's got a 299 career batting average, and I know people don't like batting average anymore, but to play in baseball for as long as he did, to never be hurt, to play in every single game, to steal tons of bags and be a 300 hitter for his career, I think that's notable for Juan Pierre. You know, stuff like that. So you can reach back. Into the, and Aaron Cook, shout outs to Aaron Cook. You know, he, you know, if he, he could be your favorite Rockies pitcher of all time, and he's absolutely capable of outdueling either of these guys uh, on any given day. He's certainly going to pitch a lot faster <laughs> uh, to a lot more contact and all of that. So, yeah, this was a fun and interesting exercise to go through. I, I hope it was interesting for you. If I still left some people out, that's super great. Let me know who they are. You know, who got the biggest snub here, even though we've gone through three different teams and. Would you maybe even take Team 2 to win over Team 1? 
Like I said, other than the fact that uh, defensively their outfield isn't very good with Holiday and left and Bichette and right, this lineup is scary. Ellis Burks, Dante Bichette, Matt Holiday, Andres Galarraga, Vinny Castilla, Trevor Story, and Kazuo Matsui. And here's the other thing that I would tell you. If you could combine teams two and three, then I think that they, you know, they've got the depth there. If you can employ certain people wherever you want, maybe you like a Justin Morneau. People were talking about the DH too, who the, who you would take. If you had the DH, you could move Justin Morneau up to team two to be that team's DH. Of course, team one's going to need a DH as well. So things are going to get more complicated for everybody there. But yeah, this was a fun and interesting exercise to go through. Let me know what you think, who you'd take, who got snubbed, uh, how you think these series would go down if there was a seven-game set. <laughs> you know, it's like, who you got? I got uh, got team three in six games, you know, all, the, all that kind of cool stuff. Appreciate you all for listening in. Make sure you've got the podcast downloaded on your normal app that you're swinging by, Mile High Sports, for all the written content, both on the Rocky side and all your other sports covers. A lot of fantastic people doing fantastic work over here at milehighsports.com. Follow everybody on Twitter. Read everyone's stuff. Uh, Take some time for yourself to, to think about things like this and take some deep breaths and take a step back and just... Remember that baseball is a thing to be enjoyed, and I hope that we did some enjoying of it today. I hope you all will continue to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.